Thank you so much, Aaron. That's quite the introduction. I don't know if I can live up to it. But <laughs> um, what a, well, I just want to say what a privilege it is to, to be here, uh, serving here at Valley, um, serving alongside uh, Pastor Mike, and, and getting to know all of you has been a real privilege for me the last um, almost month now. And um, just so thankful how the Lord has um, brought us together. Uh, and just uh, such, a, such a neat, neat story there. Um, for what God has been doing. So we have been in our series in the book of Joshua. Uh, and last week we were in Joshua chapter 8, and we've been kind of walking through the, the times where the children of Israel are entering into the promised land. And we've been gleaning principles for our lives as well from these accounts in the scriptures. And today we're probably on the most famous account in the book of Joshua, and that is when the Israelites confronted the walls of Jericho. And so today we're considering the idea of breaking down the walls. I want us to think about something that maybe you haven't thought about for a little while, but how many of you enjoy obstacle courses? Okay, we've got a few people, right? Obstacle courses, they can be, they can be fun and challenging. Um, I'm probably more like, I'm, I'm like the one on the left there. I could do that, right? I could, I could go through the one there. You know, the other one on the right, that's like American Ninja Warrior. That's... That's really tough, right? You have to work really hard even just to get to the point where you can even do maybe half of it, right? And so what's interesting about obstacle courses, I think, is that they test our, they test abilities, running, jumping, maybe even swimming, and usually there's a time component to it. And there's, as we saw, a great deal of training involved for those really difficult ones. Um, and in certain respects, I think life is kind of like an obstacle course, where you're confronted with various different challenges. Um, is that better? Okay. <laughs> uh, you're confronted with various different challenges in life that test our strength and test our character. Some of them are extremely difficult. And just as obstacle courses present challenges, the walls of Jericho presented a gigantic challenge for the people of Israel in their conquest of the land of Canaan. And this account in Joshua 5 and 6 is a story of how God intervened supernaturally on behalf of the Israelites to overcome this challenge as they entered the Promised Land. And from it, we're going to glean three principles that we can apply to our lives as we approach challenges that we will face. The first one I want us to see is that we can approach challenges with confidence because God's presence is with us. As we've been following along in the story, we've, we've seen how the people of Israel are preparing to enter the promised land. And God has promised them that they will possess the land, but they still have a role that, to play. And it's interesting that so much of the early chapters of the book of Joshua have centered not on military victories, but on themes of consecration and obedience. And now we're finally here at a place where it looks like they're ready for a military battle, and instead it's... It's more themes on consecration and obedience and God fighting the battle for them. And we're going to see more about that in a little bit. Now the people in Canaan knew very well that Joshua and the people were on their way. Before Joshua is preparing, as he's preparing to go into battle, he meets with an interesting figure who appears to him with a sword drawn in his hand. Look in verse 13 of chapter 5, Joshua chapter 5. It says that when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes 
and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword, with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So here's this, this figure that he, uh, this, this figure he sees, ready for battle. He presents a powerful image to Joshua. And Joshua's main concern is, what side are you on? Are you, are you for our enemies or are you for us? And he says this in verse 14. He says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? So it's interesting that the commander, this figure that Joshua meets, doesn't identify which side he's on. He just tells Joshua, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Instead claiming a position of greater power and authority. He's demonstrating that he's more powerful than Joshua. He has this higher position. Now a lot of scholars, they go back and forth on who is this figure? Who is this person? Some people think he, he could be an angel. Seems reasonable. Some people think he's a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, is that some people have, there's terminology we also see in the Old Testament for the angel of the Lord, and some people liken that uh, as other pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus. Um, and some people maybe even think that it's God himself. It's sort of the terminology of a theophany. Uh, some people, uh, one scholar, Victor Hamilton, describes the theophany as a revelation of God that includes a spectacular display of power. Which would certainly seem to fit what we've seen here. We don't actually, we don't know for sure. Scholars, I'm sure, will continue to debate and figure, try to figure out who this person, figure, angel, who was he? But the greater point we see is that Joshua knows that he is in the presence of one who is greater than himself. And we see that Joshua uses this language, like he's, when he says in verse 14, he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? Joshua understands that he's in the presence of someone who is greater. And ultimately, this figure leads Joshua into the presence of God. We see this beginning in verse 15. This is what the, the, this figure, this commander of the Lord's army says to Joshua. He says, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The place where you are standing is holy. Joshua hears these words, and they echo very much back to the words of a, another significant Israelite leader. It goes back to Moses. Joshua is Moses' successor. We read very similar language when Moses received his commission from the Lord in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was at the burning bush, and, he, and the Lord saw, we read in Exodus 3, 4, 5, and the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush, said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. He said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. It's very interesting, I think, to see these parallels between the commission of Moses to go and lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and we've seen 
Joshua in chapter 1, how he has an encounter with God as his commission to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And then as he prepares for this great challenge facing them in Jericho, God reminds him of his presence. God reminds him that he is with him. I think we see here in, as a principle for our lives that in the presence of the Lord, there's great power and strength. The commander of the Lord's army represents the power of the Lord. And when we recognize God's power, we, we can recognize God's power as we are in his presence. And that can give us confidence as we approach the challenges that we will face in our lives. Now, so to illustrate, uh, I'm a, a Baltimore sports fan through and through, and I enjoy following football. And of course, that started up the last week, and I'm excited about what's going on there for the Ravens. Um, now, obviously, this is a well-known figure nationally, um, but one of the things I remember about Ray Lewis and his leadership for the Ravens during their Super Bowl season, almost a decade ago now, is how he just sort of had a presence about him. Wherever he went, he talked to the media, he was around his players, he just had this confidence on their Super Bowl ride he was ready to retire. He just believed they're going to go and win the Super Bowl. And he would fire up his teammates. And it, I think the fan base, they just sort of had an expectation that this, is, this was the year. There was a, an unusual sort of confidence and energy that he would bring. Um, I even remember him quoting, you, you may even remember him quoting scripture. He would say, like, no weapon formed against you shall stand, which the seminary student in me cringes a little bit there. But... But it did seem to inspire uh, those around him to believe and have confidence as they approach the challenge of pursuing the championship. And in a similar way, we as followers of Jesus can have a greater confidence because of the presence of God in our lives. As we spend time in his presence, we are strengthened. We are encouraged. And we can have that greater confidence as we approach challenges because we know God is with us. And if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit living within you. The presence of God in your heart. He is with you. He is praying for you. He is encouraging you. And His presence helps us as we trust in His power and strength to accomplish the work that He has given us to do. In our lives, through our lives, and in our church. And when we see what follows are some, also some really encouraging words that the Lord gives to Joshua as they approach the, the battle of Jericho. Look in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And we see, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and mighty men of valor. That phrase there, that it was shut up inside and outside. Nobody's leaving Jericho. They are ready. That ad phrase there actually suggests that they were ready to defend at all costs. They were, this, the walls of Jericho, they were, they were well prepared for whatever was going to come their way. David Jeremiah writes that from uh, the high places and towers on the walls, they could shoot, soldiers could shoot arrows at opposing forces. They could 
dump hot oil on them as they, as they approached the walls. They could throw rocks at them. So this kind of gives you a picture of how daunting this challenge was for the Israelites. But victory was certain. God tells Joshua from the outset, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. In fact, the Israelites are not even going to have to fight this battle. As we'll see in the, the battle plan that's outlined in verses 3 through 5. Notice what the Lord says. He says, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And then verse 5, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Did you, did you catch that there? That there's no fighting in this battle plan. They're only marching, blowing trumpets. You've got to be pretty much silent for six days, and then you shout. And then the walls are going to fall down flat. Because God was fighting for his people. God was going to win this victory. Another interesting thing I wanted to point out here, we saw it briefly in verse 5, and we're going to see a little bit more in verses 6 and 8, that the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant with them. Why would they take the Ark of the Covenant? In verses 6 and 8, we see that they... They took up the ark, Joshua tells them, and then the priests bearing the trumpets, they go before the, blowing the trumpets before the ark of the Lord. And they go forward, the ark of the covenant is following them. What's significant about the ark of the covenant? Why would they take that into battle with them? Well, in the Old Testament, the ark of the covenant was the symbol of the presence of God. And this is significant because it shows that God is among his people. He's in their midst as they have marched around the walls of Jericho. God's presence was with them wherever they went. And this, can give, this gave them that confidence as they marched forward. And I think in a similar way, as we as believers, that we can be assured that God is with us. The writer of Hebrews, quoting the Old Testament, says that God will never leave us or forsake us. And we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, as Paul writes in Romans 8. So we can operate from a posture of confidence because we know God is with us. I don't know what challenge you're facing. It could be a significant health problem or a difficult situation in a, in a work setting or maybe you have a difficult relationship with a family member. And as a church, we have, our cha we have challenges that we're facing as we seek to reach our community with the gospel and to be the light that God has called us to be. We don't know, we don't know all the outcomes. I don't know the outcomes of how, what they'll all work out to be for your scenarios. But I do know that God is always at work. And that he is accomplishing his great purposes in our lives. That God is always up to something great and he has all the power and the strength that we could ever need. And we can tap into that 
as we become more aware of the presence of God around us and in our hearts. As we spend time in his word and in prayer, knowing him better, we dwell in his presence. So we've seen how God's presence gives us confidence as we approach challenges in our lives. Now I want us to see how we can approach challenges with perseverance because God is faithful to help us. So as we've seen, the battle plan for the Israelites is highly unusual. This is not what any military general would have come up with. It's essentially not really a battle plan at all. It is more of a religious ceremony. And they're to march around the walls once a day for six straight days in relative silence. We see this relative silence in verse 10 of chapter 6, where it's Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. And seven priests carry and blow ram's horn trumpets with the ark of the Lord in their midst. Verse 13, we see that the, the seven priests are carrying the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets continually. The armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. Verse 14, and the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. Now the scripture notes that they, the, the priests are they're blowing the trumpets continually. Now, I've never played the trumpet, or I've never, I've never really played instruments that you blow with, but it does, it, to keep blowing them takes some perseverance, right? For those of you who have played those instruments, you need breaks, right? But there, they, there is a, a perseverance in which they keep blowing their trumpets. And then they march and they do this for six straight days. This might have seemed confusing or maybe wearying to the Israelites. I want us to know how much repetition was in this practice. They marched around the walls one time every day for six straight days, and nothing happens. The scripture doesn't tell us if all the people received the full explanation of the plan. So we don't know if, if they fully understood what Joshua knew. Perhaps they could have become discouraged and, and in the face of their enemies as they just walked around the walls and wondering, why are, why are we walking around the walls? Maybe they were afraid that people from Jericho would spring an attack as they marched. So we don't know how all the people felt about this. These are some possible, I'm speculating here, so take it with a grain of salt. But we don't know what they thought. But I was just, I was thinking, how would, how would I have thought? Maybe I would have been like, I don't understand why we're just marching around the walls and why we're not attacking Jericho. Maybe I would have been like, you know, we've been marching for three straight days and nothing's happened. Maybe, maybe it would have lasted longer. Maybe it would have gone five days and then... Then I would have complained. <laughs> maybe people would have been, maybe those who were carrying the Ark, they're like, the Ark of the Covenant? It's getting heavy. I'm still carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Why are we doing that? Or maybe there were people who were just like, I'm all in. I'm in. Joshua, you lead on. We're trusting that God is working in our midst. But all we know is that they kept on marching. They kept on walking, even when maybe it didn't make a lot of sense. Repetition of things in life 
can get discouraging. Nobody likes repeating lots of things over and over again. It becomes wearying. It can be tempting to give up, thinking that maybe a, a certain practice or something that we've been doing for a while isn't working because we haven't seen results. Does anyone enjoy watching movies that have lots of repetition in them? No hands at all. Okay, good. <laughs> so this is, um, this is a film. This is uh, not really like my favorite genre of film. But this is a film called The Edge of Tomorrow with uh, it stars uh, Tom Cruise. And it is also titled Live, Die, Repeat. So it's one of those films where you keep seeing the same scenes and lines over and over again. Um, as uh, Tom Cruise, he, he's, he has this ability to keep living the same day over and over again to enhance his skills as the, the Earth attempts to defeat alien invaders. So this is not really my favorite genre of movie either, but we were watching it with some friends, and my favorite memory of the movie is actually not from the movie itself. It's from my good friend Carlos, who was watching the movie with us, and he said he just kept falling asleep on the film. But he would wake up and be like, I don't think I missed anything. <laughs> but the rest of us, we were watching the film, we were hanging in there with it, and we knew that the plot line of the story was progressing, even though, my friend Carlos, everything seemed the same. In a similar way, maybe you've been living your life and you, you feel like you just keep kind of living through the same struggles. This, you re keep repeating the same circumstances. And maybe you know that you know where God, this is where God has you and that God is leading you in this part of your life. You know that you're seeking to live as God has called you to live and, and to do what God has called you to do and you've sought to be faithful, but yet you're waiting. You're waiting on something to change. But I want to encourage you to hang in there, to not give up on following the Lord, to continue being faithful. Because so often God calls us to persevere and to continue being faithful to what he's called us to do and to how he's called us to live. One of the clearest ways I think that we can practice perseverance, and it's also one of the more challenging ways, is through prayer. And maybe the repetition of persevering in prayer, maybe it seems futile. You wonder, is anything going to change? Will it ever pay off? Maybe you've been praying about something for months or years and nothing's happened. I'm sure we all can think of people who have done that. But just as the first six days of marching around the walls seem futile, it's important to remember that they were not. In that time, the people of Israel were still demonstrating their faith in God's power and their confidence in Joshua as their leader by just continuing to be obedient and do what God has called them to do. And in those times of waiting, I think it's often when God does his most refining work in our lives, shaping us and changing us to become more and more like Christ. During my time in, in seminary over the last couple of years, uh, I've become very familiar with this quote from the founder of our school, uh, the founder of our school, uh, Dr. Jerry Falwell, founder of Liberty University. And he said, nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. And that quote's really resonated with me over the last couple of years and 
It's taken on greater significance in the last year or so in my life. I know that whatever we do or are seeking to do for the Lord, we must consult the Lord in prayer. We must take it to the Lord in prayer. And we can be persistent in prayer because that's what God has called us to do. I think this is sort of a spirit of prayer and this constant communication with the Lord is what Paul refers to when he writes, pray without ceasing. There is that connection with the Lord, that fellowship with the Lord. And Jesus also urges us to ask and to seek and to knock. He says this in Luke chapter 11, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Those verbs in, verses, in verse 9 are to ask, seek, and knock. They imply a, a repeated action. Iterative. You keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Knowing that God is faithful because he's our good heavenly father. He is good. He longs to give us good things. But sometimes he does make us wait. And we have to continue to be faithful and trust. So we don't have to give in to discouragement when maybe we don't see the results that we don't see right away, that we want to see right away. Instead, we can remain faithful in prayer, trusting that God is working in us and through us. I was talking with someone just a few months ago who had been praying for her son. He's been praying for her son for 20 years to come to faith in Christ. And only this past year, things started to turn around for him and his family. He started finally attending church, and he's, so they're starting to show some signs of life. It still seems like a long way to go. Perhaps you feel that way about something in your life. I don't know what it could be. But maybe you've been asking the Lord for something to change, the heart of a family member to change. I want to encourage you, just continue being faithful. Continue trusting in the Lord. Now, I've only been here a short time here at, at Valley, but it's been really encouraging to me to see the good things that God is doing here. Those, th those things may take some time, but we can trust that God is faithful to help us, and that's why it's important that we remain faithful in prayer. We know that God answers the prayers of his people, and we know that God is with us as we embark on this revitalization and it has been something that's been really encouraging to me to, in my faith, to look at all the things that God is doing and what he is going to bring out of our faithfulness here. And finally, I want us to see the third thing, the third way that we can approach challenges, and that's that we can approach challenges with a determination to obey because God honors our obedience. So along with this unconventional battle strategy that the Israelites followed, the people had a few other specific instructions in, in the defeat of Jericho. We saw in verse 10 how they were, they were told to basically remain silent, be pretty much quiet until the, the seventh day. And then Joshua says, until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. And in verses 15 and 16, we read that only on the seventh day were the people to walk around the walls seven times. And we see that that is exactly what the people do. 
that they obey Joshua's instructions to the letter in these matters. And there are a few other interesting instructions as well. Verse 17, only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. In verse 18, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take in there. What is that, what is that talking about? So in verses 17 and 18, they were told they weren't supposed to take anything. They needed to save Rahab and her family. And it's important to remember that the idea here on these things were devoted to the Lord. This was, it was sort of like an offering to the Lord. And it was also to protect God's people. The key here is that remain holy. To remain separate. From the, from the false gods, from the, the, the people who would influence them, potentially. And it parallels to what is, this is actually, they're obeying what's written in the law. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Um, it says that uh, people who would influence them, potentially. And it parallels to what is, this is actually, they're obeying what's written in the law. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Um, it says that, uh, we'll go to Deuteronomy 20. Um, in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. So this, they're obeying what Moses prescribed in the law. The Canaanites, this is included in that, uh, and that they were not supposed to take any of their, of, they were supposed to devote these things to destruction so that they would remain holy, so that they could remain separate. Because in verse 18 there, we see that God knew that the other, other people groups would lead his people away from him. And so God has their best interests in mind when he orders them, when he gives this commandment that they devote these things to destruction. And the people were to be careful to obey or risk the judgment of the Lord. And we see that in the matters, if you want to go back to Joshua 6, we saw that they were to devote the, the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze. Those things were dedicated as holy to the Lord. And they would go into the treasury of the Lord. And we see that in the matter of their following God's battle plan, letting him fight the battle for them, God gives them the victory. The people shout on day 7 with a great shout, and the walls fall down flat. God honored the obedience of his people. But he also wanted them to make sure that they followed these instructions after the battle so that they remained separate and holy to the Lord. And in a similar way, God desires us to remain holy to him. He has blessed us in so many wonderful ways and provided so many things for us in this world 
But there are also some things that God has called us to stay away from. There are things that God has called us to separate from so that we can remain holy, that we can be a people who are devoted to him. I love the way the Apostle Paul writes it, describes it in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says that we can be living sacrifices who are holy and acceptable to God. That we can have minds that are being continually transformed and renewed by the word of God. And as his people, that's why it's critical that we want to seek to understand and to know what God says in his word. That's why it's critical that we spend time in his word, studying it and in prayer with him so we know how God has called us to live. But in addition to that, sometimes God has called us to remove things from our lives that have a bad influence on us. I don't know what that could be for you. It could be, some, it could be a form of entertainment that, that maybe leads to an impure thought, maybe too much time on social media. Maybe there's even some people in your lives that have bad influences on you and draw you away from God. Whatever that may be, if there, because we all have these different points of things that draw us away and pull us away from what God has called us to be. But we can be a holy people to the Lord because of the gospel. Because of the power of the gospel in our lives. We've seen a lot today about the power and strength of the Lord. The power in his presence. The power that he has shown through the victory here at Jericho. But if you trusted in Jesus for your salvation, for your forgiveness of sins, you've experienced the power of God. Through the power of the gospel. And the gospel is incredibly powerful. I love the way the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the gospel is that Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless life and died on a cross for our sins. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave after three days. He died on the cross showing his unconditional love for the world. And he rose from the dead showing his ultimate power over sin and death. And if you place your faith in his work on the cross and his resurrection for the forgiveness of, use of your sins, you will have eternal life. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And if you call out to him in faith, asking him to save you, he will. He promises to save us. Romans 10, it says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is the message, the power of the gospel that has transformed and impacted our world for nearly 2,000 years. And it continues to impact lives today. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God. Salvation. And so today, if, that is, if, that's, if you've never trusted in Jesus, 
Today is the best day you could do that and have that, get that settled and to know that you will spend eternity in heaven with God because of Jesus. So thankful for the power of God that he has shown in our lives and that the gospel is the power of God. Let's bow for a word of prayer as we close. Father, we thank you just for the privilege of being here. So thankful for your word and its power in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for having your presence with us in our hearts. And thank, thank you, Lord, just for who you are and all that you are doing in this place and in our hearts. And I pray today for each one who's here, that you'd encourage their faith and their trust in you, that you would strengthen them. Lord, I pray for those who may not know you today, that, that they would come to a saving faith in your son. God, we thank you and we give you the praise for all that you are doing here. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.